So I'd like to start off here this evening just um, a piece about practice. Uh, This afternoon I was, uh, as I was uh, jiggling my mind around, uh, trying to uh, kind of figure out where I was going, uh, if I was going in this talk, uh, I came up, uh, I started testing this piece in myself. And there was a part of me that wanted to think this through some way. And there was another part realized that um, this piece about this practice of teaching and, and uh, also a piece about right speech. And I realized I had to take my mind and put it in my body. And that once my mind was in my body, uh, then uh, I could uh, allow my attention to be in my heart. And then my mind, uh, through my body, could serve my heart. And I realized, oh, that to me was right speech. Uh, that's, that's what I wanted to say. I could end the talk right here, but I'll, I'll have some more things to say. <laughs> but it would be enough, actually, you know. Oh, I am a rascal in there. (laughs) So tonight I would like to um, talk a little bit. I actually have a little uh, sort of haiku that I wrote. This was at the end of a six-week retreat at IMS. And everybody was sort of getting up, uh, you know, saying their name and who they were and stuff. and, And kind of something about something. And um, so I got up to say something about something, and this is what came out of my mouth. Mind, heart, scrub, old rag. Heart, kindly bent towards ease. So again, mind, heart, scrub, old rag. Heart. Kindly bent towards ease. So I thought I would dissect this for you. <laughs> and uh, it's really, um, it's sort of th- each three parts there. And I wanted to start off tonight just talking about uh, the practice as a practice of mind-heart scrub. Um, I always had this as an image that I had one of my teachers uh, gave to me. And some reason, you know, you have these little images. Well, I'm very, I'm not really word-oriented, I'm more image-oriented. And I, it was this thing about, he said, oh, this practice is like having a bar of soap and your dirty laundry and just scrubbing your laundry. And, um, and I've thought a lot about that, uh, that sitting here... Uh, um, Uh, scrub, mind scrubbing, uh, heart scrubbing, uh, kind of all the stuff that keeps us from being here, that keeps us from being here. A lot of times this practice is simply, uh, it's talked about a lot, and I don't like this term so much, uh, is that, uh, because it's a dualistic term, is, is this is a practice of purification. And what you've all done is come here uh, to sort of uh, wash your laundry uh, of your mind heart and go hang it up out on the line there, except 
what's nice is it's all inside your the line. Fortunately, we don't have the little cameras up here with all the screens of what's going on in each of your stories and bodies and hearts. Um, but we're out kind of hanging this laundry up. Um, in the practice, actually, there's uh, one of the uh, main sort of uh, texts uh, on in the Abhidharma is called the Vishuddhi Maga, which is actually just simply the path of purification. And so it really goes through all the kind of psychological things of this um, Really, what I see is an unknotting process. It's like we're full of uh, all these kind of uh, uh, <laughs> knots. And so we come here and we sit down and we start to um, kind of unwind or unravel uh, the knots. And first, the first knots are really uh, simply uh, the body itself. And um, so what happens? We come and we decide to sit down, be quiet, and uh, get still. Well, it's not too long before something begins to um, take uh, what great offense uh, to our sitting down and being quiet. And so we begin this incredible struggle. Uh, struggle first with the, the physical discomfort of uh, physically stopping and not moving. What an odd thing to do. You know. But if you look at it at this perspective of sitting down and um, sort of letting this be your theater, and uh, your body uh, being the um, kind of, it's kind of like the, what the, like the old movies, uh, you're running this, this movie. And the longer you kind of sit here, uh, the more intense uh, those body uh, sensations get. And someone was describing to me today their experience of that. And... Um, it felt so right on of sitting down and uh, the first thing is noticing the struggle of uh, how can I fix it, you know? Oh, well, maybe if I move, you know? Uh, maybe I sit in a chair. Um, and there's then this continuous kind of uh, volitional actions, subtle actions to change what's happening. And we struggle and struggle and struggle with this. And it may be, I know for myself, um, I had this place for a long time that was in the center of my back. And I would go and I would sit, and uh, after uh, four or five days, uh, it would start coming up, and then it'd be there for a little while, and then it would disappear, and then it would come back up again. And each time it seemed to come up, and it was more, more painful. And I would begin to start uh, this kind of mind uh, ideas about, oh, maybe I have a, you know, a disc out of place, and maybe a, you know, I have something that's broken or 
uh, unfixable or, you know, I would go off on all these kind of stories of how it was. And sometimes I would kind of slightly try to turn towards, because that was what I was told, that that was the practice. But I didn't really believe it. You know, I get a little close and I would then go try to figure it out again. And in my mind, I knew that was true. But somewhere in this kind of mind, body, heart, uh, I didn't really want to enter that place. And I think finally I just got, I don't know, maybe I just got tired and decided, well, maybe it's time to kind of turn and look towards that. And I remember turning my, I actually remember turning my attention towards it and deciding, oh, I can, I can go into this. And it was interesting because at that time, um, it was really hard to distinguish between what I knew as pain and simply sensation. There was some kind of eye in there trying to uh, hold it uh, to be different than it was. And then at some point, my mind switched over and began to recognize it as simply sensation. The moment the mind, somehow mind-heart recognized that as sensation, uh, and it just was happening on its own, and there wasn't really me interfering with it. There was just this uh, curiosity, this willingness, kind of of the seven factors, this willingness to investigate it somehow. And suddenly, there was an ecstatic feeling. Um, and it was someone was relating the same thing to me today about, oh, then there was this ecstatic feeling. And it was gone. It was gone. And my mind immediately then began grasping towards the ecstatic. You know, and I started again in a new way. Over. In another way. And I began to then notice this uh, pattern. Um, but each time there seemed to be uh, a subtler piece of it. I know my first, uh, my first retreat, I, I told you my first retreat was a 40-day retreat. And um, before that time, I would sit in the morning and I did yoga and, and I kind of was into prostrations and doing mantras and uh, different things. And, but uh, I never put my full attention uh, for you know, 12 hours a day on uh, sitting. And I had done one period where I walked in the Himalayas for actually two months. And had been, my teacher at the time, this Tibetan, had said, well, just keep your attention in your feet. And it was absolutely very liberating because I would tell all these stories and fantasies. And I was by myself and I had a, uh, I had a Sherpa that was carrying my stuff. And, um, but he was from this little village, Pamboche, and he spoke no, he spoke no English. So uh, there was no one really to talk to. 
And uh, so I would talk to myself, uh, not knowing that really, that I'm sure you've been doing some of this. Uh, <laughs> uh, to kind of, in a way, for, at that time, was kind of fill the time in some way. <clears throat> but I got to, I began to realize that there was this uh, letting go of some, as I would walk day after day, I would start letting go of these, these old stories that come through my mind, and I would realize, oh, I'm kind of letting go. And that I can come back and kind of, oh, I remember, put your attention in your feet. And then uh, I would forget most of the time, but when I would get to some of those mountains that were just straight up, uh, and about a third of the way up, I would realize I was just physical sensation. And then I would remember. And uh, not too many thoughts, actually except uh, when will this be over. Um, <laughs> and so I got to this retreat, and I began to sit. And um, it was not my body at the first, the first retreat I went to. It was actually this word sita, or chita, uh, which is uh, described as uh, in kind of uh, Buddhist cosm- uh, what terminology as uh, mind-heart. And I began to tell my story of from that day back. And I would go over it. And for the first two weeks, I would just repeat this over and over and over uh, of my life story, all the way almost back to birth. And um, it's wasn't, it wasn't what I was told to do as practice, you know. Um, but every, occasionally I would notice my body or my breath. But there was just so much, so much of this uh, needing to somehow uh, organize myself to sit down and kind of know myself to let go of myself. And I can see now, uh, I don't repeat that story. And I actually, after that, I became very confident and understood when my teacher said, oh, this is a path of purification. Uh, that there is, uh, these stories come up and you run them over and over and over and over again. And then a lot of times they don't come up anymore. Uh, in the same way with the body, that we sit and sit and sometimes we'll have a pain and uh, we'll make up all kinds of realities about how that pain is. And then there is a point where one lets go, uh, or comes to terms, or enters uh, that. And notice that its function um, uh, is to bring you into contact so what? So you can let go of whatever it is. I had this experience uh, just, uh, this was what, four years ago, um, I was sitting in Burma, and I went to this retreat center, and uh, there were about, about this many people, about 60 people, but they were all Burmese. And uh, they kind of did it of how long you've been sitting or whatever and, and um, stuff. So I had to sit up front. And so I sat up front, and um, they're rather limber people and are much more used to uh, sitting uh, cross-legged than we are. And so people would sit, you know, several hours. And being kind of my nature, I mean, we, you may notice this in yourself, uh, there was this thing, uh, what was it James was saying about looking good? 
you know, in the walking, looking good, looking good, looking good. Well, mine was, I had to look good uh, sitting up front here and sit with these people. So two hours would go by, and I would, I would go into excruciating pain. Uh, I mean, I'm good for you know, an hour and 15 minutes, hour, hour and a half, but anything near two hours is over. Um, it gets, uh, you know, gets excruciating. And they seem to just be very relaxed sitting there just, you know. <laughs> and I'm sitting there electrified with uh, pain. And I had a pain in my shoulder. And somehow I was determined, though, to stay there and not, uh, not move. Uh, I had to hold my whatever it was I was, thought I was or wasn't. Um, and I had this pain in the shoulder. And my concentration got very, very, very good. That's one thing great about pain. <laughs> you can't escape it. It holds your attention completely. And I, was, I put, turned my attention and I stayed with it for a long, long time. And just, it was sitting after sitting and I just stayed there. And at some moment, I had this incredible, like, flash. And in it, I saw myself as a little child, and I was maybe five or six, and I was hidden under a desk. And there was all this kind of fear and pain. And, um, and it came up through my mind in a moment. I mean, it was just a, just a, just a quick flash. And then it, that paint was gone. Suddenly, it was not there anymore. And I felt, you know, what happened? Where'd it go? And then I got this insight that what that was, whatever was holding me in that moment, uh, was lodged somehow in, I don't know whether uh, it certainly manifested the physical body feeling, uh, that it was gone. It would not return. This was something that had been there, I had experienced in the body, and had let go of. And it gave me, again, so much confidence in this practice of um, what we're doing here, and that it is, is this process of, um, it's almost kind of a magic, uh, in its simplicity, in its complexity. And uh, there is a deep, deep letting go. There is a deep, kind of the dirt off of uh, the many kind of uh, stories and things that uh, have held us somehow in captivity. Uh, it was one of those moments that gave me, again, so much confidence in what you're doing here. You know. Um, and it's a tough, it's a, this is a, I was thinking today, oh, the other piece was, um, I admire you so much, you know, it is hard work here. This is not, uh, this is no holiday. Uh, this is one, um, uh, what, courageous piece of effort uh, that is going on here. It is, uh, it's just astounding. And your sincerity. Um, This is from uh, Mildred Struan. A clay pot sitting in the sun will always be a clay pot. It has to go through the white heat of the furnace to become porcelain. That's the process. 
No. I love the, the um, you know, traveling around Asia and, and um, Burma and Thailand, and you always see these Buddhas, and you know, they don't actually, uh, they all look so peaceful and stuff. But a lot of the Buddhas in Burma, you know, you, you see on the walls and in Thailand, uh, they'll have this Buddha sitting there, and there'll be all these flames around them. Just this whole set of flames. And um, again, it gives me confidence. Because what that is, is it's burning off the, you know, Kleshas, Sankaras, whatever that uh, is holding, somehow holding you in captivity. And that's all that's happening. It's being burned off uh, to um, kind of, um, in a way, this is, uh, you know, this is kind of a cooker here. Um, cooks all of it, all the impurities out. Uh, another description one of my teachers gave was like taking a, um, uh, what is it, a, uh, like a big steel ring that has been charged uh, with p- positive ions. And it's just run uh, over the body. And in its process, it's pulling out uh, the negative. And I think in some ways that this, this is kind of a, this Dharma field here that we've created, this is a Dharma field. This is a, actually a, um, I don't know uh, how to, this Dharma field. And it, in its simplest nature, and its most deep complexity, uh, literally pulls out um, the fear and the anger and the, um, uh, all those things that uh, prevent us from being present and uh, noticing that this place is, you're enough, it's fine. Uh, so all these stories and all these body sensations, uh, all these um, things of the heart, that uh, prevent us from being here have to be noticed. This is this Dharma field. Uh, it uh, illuminates. Uh, it actually illuminates the darkness in those things that um, uh, get in our way. I have a story, I've, I've told it many times, but it, it seems appropriate to kind of tell it here. And it was about uh, when I was practicing, and this was, I was in Budgaya, and I'd been, uh, I was really uh, one of these kind of, I'm a kind of obsessive compulsive, so uh, getting into the practice was kind of easy to kind of dive, dive in and stay there uh, for long periods of time. And it, one time I, would, I was sitting in Bogaya and, and, uh, one winter, and um, I, would do, I would sit maybe 10 days, and I kept having this reoccurring thing about um, um, my mother was, had died when I was about 21, and, and uh, I was estranged from my father, who was kind of abusive and an alcoholic. And, um, and I remember, 19, I think, 1970, he came to India actually to try to find me. 
and uh, had gone to this place in New Delhi called the Crown Hotel, where all the junkies were, you know, and they were all kind of these. And so this is what he th thought I had sort of uh, uh, evolved into uh, having gone to Asia. And, uh, and so I would sit, and what would come up was I would be sitting, and I would suddenly start writing these letters to my father. And I would write them over and over and over again. Uh, and then, you know, I'd be fine for a few days. And then I'd start writing again, you know. In my mind, I'd get caught, and I would start writing them over and over and I got that, you know, somehow this was a practice of purification, and eventually I would kind of uh, work this through. And I remember uh, I went to, uh, Ramdas was in Bodh at the time, it was one of the times, and I went in and, and uh, we were talking, and I, I told him about this letter writing I was doing, and he said, well, you know, sometimes you just can't do it here. You've got to go there and do something about it, take some kind of action. And... Um, so that winter, I kept, this kept coming up. And, um, oh, and one of the things he said, he said, well, you should go have darshan with him. Is just go and um, uh, see him and be seen. Uh, but he said, don't stay long. That was his warning. So I was up and I had been living, I'd actually that summer, I was kind of living in, I had this little hut, and I would go out and live in a cave and come down again. And uh, I had a great life. I'd go and I'd pick mushrooms and wild. Uh, uh, there was wild garlic and onions and uh, parsley and um, uh, the main. The main thing was the greens were nettles, which is kind of uh, Mino Rippa's uh, kind of uh, great stories. But of that of that part of the Himalayas, that was that was your greens. And the locals had taught me what mushrooms to pick and stuff. So it was, a, it was a wonderful year. And I came down, and I was pretty scruffy. I was really scruffy in those days. <laughs> I had two changes of clothes, <laughs> you know, not too much of anything. I didn't own anything. And uh, I went over, and, and uh, I had a friend, Sultra Malion, who uh, now has a retreat center in uh, New Mexico. And so she said, oh, well, we'll get you together. And I said, well, I think I'll go back to the States. And I really feel I need to go back and, and do this thing with my father. So she cut my hair, and I, I went to uh, the little tailor in town, and he would make like sari tops and stuff like that. And we, take a, we took an old magazine, really old, funky magazine, and we found this picture of this guy in this three-piece suit. <laughs> so we, we went and bought all this uh, material. Uh, it was Chinese uh, corduroy. And so he was going to make me a suit. And so I cut my hair, and I, uh, and my hair had been shaved and grew back and long, and you know, sort of back and forth and stuff. And so um, uh, he made me the suit, and it was really cool. It was this, you know, Chinese corduroy. But the thing was, he hadn't learned was that you, you don't use different color threads. <laughs> so I had like all these different color threads, you know. Black and some green, you know. <laughs> he didn't really think about it. <laughs> so, but I flew back to the States and I, I went to see my father and I spent three days there. And um, it was great. He didn't see me. You know, he didn't really see me. Uh, but I had darshan with him. 
I suddenly saw him. Out of my practice, I saw who he was and what the pain he had gone through. And uh, I understood who he was. And I was able to forgive him uh, for the things that had happened to me. And I turned around in the next winter, and I went back. And I went back, and I started sitting, and it never came up again. Never. You know, I, I recognized, uh, really, uh, in the extension of how this works. You know, um, and it was a thorn that kept me. And I'm not saying you have to do any of this, because I think so much is done, uh, those other two stories, about what can happen here. Uh, but sometimes there are pieces that uh, take some kind of uh, this process of purification of actually amending. So, um, and that's just a piece of my story in that. So mind, heart, scrub. The process of purification. Um, to me, of kind of this um, seeing into the impermanent phenomena and uh, letting go of it. So the second part of this is old rag. And um, I think of this as, if I think of that as impermanence, I think of this as your connection to your suffering. You know, um, like all the, uh, you know, that makes you special. And this is the stuff that makes you special. It's all the things that uh, caused you actually your suffering. I had this incident. Um, I have a daughter. She's 16 years old. And um, uh, about two and a half years ago, before that, I would um, I could see her. I'd see her on weekends and that kind of thing. And uh, but a lot of times I didn't see her because I would be teaching. And then I would call her up and she would say, oh, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm busy with my friends tonight. <laughs> and uh, so I didn't actually see her very often. And uh, when I did see her, she, you know, at one time we would be green hair and the next time we'd be red hair and then be yellow hair, <laughs> you know. It was always something and all the kind of earrings and the nose ring and this and that. And, and uh, she was pretty out there, pretty gone. And her mom came to me and said, well, you know, uh, I think we should, uh, you know, maybe put her through a recovery program, maybe send her to uh, a school for uh, troubled kids. And um, thanks, uh, actually, to Rebecca and my son, uh, they kind of uh, said, well, maybe there's more to this, you know. So I decided I would uh, uh, take her on. <laughs> so... Um, after about three months, she had moved in, and, and after about three months, and I was kind of off teaching and doing this and that and uh, trying to kind of keep up with her. And I actually, I was trying to stay home as much as I could at that time. And um, I live out in the country, way out in the country. And um, there's a, a place called The Ridge, and over there, some of the people don't have phones and are out of it. But I didn't know. And my agreement was with her when she moved in that she would call me. Uh, that I, every night, I had to know, you know, at 7 o'clock where she was, what was going on, what was happening. And so she'd been about three months, and I was, she was on trial, you can say. And so uh, 7 o'clock comes around, no call. 8 o'clock comes around, no call. 9 o'clock comes around, no call. 
11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, um, 1 o'clock. And I start, then suddenly my practice starts to fall apart. And everything I believe, and this is really about simple attachment, I'm going, oh my gosh, what am I to do here? And so I got out a pad of paper, and I remembered uh, there is a story of Rokan, the Zen kind of poet and, and uh, Zen master. And uh, the story goes that he um, was uh, told by his uncle, uh, I mean, uh, what's his brother, whatever, that um, uh, this uh, brother's son was, uh, was being really a problem. And, um, and that uh, Rokan should come and do something about this. So actually, as the story goes, Rokan goes to the house uh, where the nephew, uh, who's the problem, is there. And he goes to the house, he doesn't say a word to him. And he goes and he sits, and he sits all night. And the next morning, uh, he, gets, he gets up to leave. And uh, the young man comes, and uh, part of the kind of Japanese custom, to put his shoes on. And uh, a tear drops from Roikant and lands on his hand as he's doing the shoes. And um, he leaves, and there's never a problem with that boy after that. And that story went through my mind, and, um, but I didn't know how to deal with it. And so I began to write, and I thought, well, how, how, how does this work? So I sat there that night, and I wrote, um, first, how pissed off I was, and that I was going to kill her <laughs> for not calling me and not in breaking the deal. And then I wrote how afraid I was. I didn't know what had happened to her. And I was, I was uh, really, really scared. And so, I would, so every hour, I would write a paragraph about anger and a paragraph about fear. And I wrote six pages, and I didn't hear from her till 11 o'clock the next morning. And uh, when she came home, I didn't say anything. I said, you know, where were you? What happened? She said, oh, I was out on the ridge. They didn't have a phone. I said, well, you've got to, I don't care if you have to walk three miles. You have to realize um, uh, where I am and who I am. And so I handed her this letter. I said, you can simply just read this. And so at that time, she just read about fear and um, and anger. And I never said a word after that. And I really, um, you know, I don't know. There's no manual for any of these things. <laughs> um, but it worked. No. It was kind of like that story of Rokan, and I think that somehow... Um, there's a piece about this practice that uh, the fears and the anger and the uh, things that we hold um, are somehow our preciousness, too. You know? um, I, I think of this story that um, uh, Naomi uh, Remy um, 
right center. What's it called? Uh, table top. But kitchen table wisdom. Right. And she has this story. It's a wonderful story about a young man who's 24 and he loses his left leg. And uh, she does this really deep work with him and with uh, psychotherapy and uh, kind of art and um, um, kind of journeying uh, uh, for his healing. And then after they've worked together for two years, uh, he comes back and uh, he has kind of been through his dark night of the soul. And he... Um, she's, they're sitting together and they're going through all these, uh, all the work that he has done in the last two years. And he came across one of the first uh, pictures that he drew. And what it was was of a vase. And it had a crack in the vase. And he had taken a crayon and he had drawn over and over and over and over this black line because he thought he could never, um, that vase would never hold water. And he said, oh, this isn't finished. This isn't finished. And at that moment, he picked up a yellow crayon, and he drew little streams of light coming out of the black crack, saying, this is where the light comes out. And it's this piece of old rag that all of our, you know, all of the mistakes you've ever made, all the things that uh, happened to you, uh, there's different kinds of suffering. Uh, there's suffering that leads to more suffering. Dukkha that leads to dukkha. And there is suffering that leads to freedom. And the piece that is so wonderful about this kind of uh, Dharma land here is that you're in a place where whatever discomfort, whatever suffering there is, this suffering uh, with this simple, simple bare attention, this thing of mindfulness in the moment, uh, that it has this power, this power of dispelling, uh, breaking apart uh, those forces. And so it is actually suffering that leads to freedom. Uh, That's actually what's going on here. I have a, another story that uh, is about that. that um, actually, I, I told it this morning, actually. Uh, James was in, the, uh, we were in for breakfast and talking about stories and stuff. And, um, when I was little, I... Um, I was brought up by um, Indians, and who, little Mayans, who uh, uh, took care of me, and I learned their language. And um, my nursemaids, and we lived in, in uh, the border of El Salvador and Guatemala. And my father had a, a factory with the Indians there, and uh, there was a revolution, and it was burned down, and uh, we had to come to the States. And in this process of coming to the States, I, uh, I assume because I was very attached uh, to these, uh, my nurse maiden, and, and um, I uh, came to the States, and I stopped speaking 
And so whatever language I knew was no longer there. And um, at the time, you know, uh, my parents didn't really know what to do with me or what to do. So uh, we were in Lexington, Kentucky. So they took me to the University of Kentucky for evaluation and stuff. And they decided I was an autistic child. <laughs> right. So I was put in a school for autistic children. But I didn't speak for, a, for over a year. And I think back on it, of that kind of, it was really a, a place of, of fear, but also deep silence. Um, and uh, today I see it as part of my own Buddha field. You know, it's a place that I, I learned um, that uh, this place of silence was okay. Uh, I could uh, enter that space and, and um, uh, it felt like home on some level. I think in the first years of my practice, uh, uh, again, this process of unknotting, uh, I had to uh, let go of a lot of those pieces and many years later in therapy uh, to um, um, to break it. But today I see it as part of the gift, that the suffering that uh, I experienced was a gift. And all of you have your stories here of what has happened. And um, from this place, anyway, I see them as the blessings of going from uh, suffering to freedom. Uh, They are uh, really gifts. So so this poem, again, this haiku or whatever. um, Mind, heart, scrub. Old rag, heart, kindly bent towards ease. So this heart, kindly bent towards ease, uh, is actually uh, the result of practice. It is this uh, kind of... Uh, the result, I think, of the Dalai Lama when he speaks and someone asks him what his religion was, and he says, oh, my religion is kindness. Um, and it is the result of this Dharma field. Um, I found this little piece today. I thought it was pretty good. Um, instead of heavy duty... Try putting yourself on gentle cycle. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's a good practice. I'll go back to Sylvia's first night where she was talking about this one room and uh, uh, the door of um, insight and metta. Uh, But ultimately, when you uh, are in the room, um, they seem the same, you know. And uh, I loved your metta, uh, Sylvia, at the beginning where uh, it's really this uh, there is this um, uh, 
true mindfulness is a kindness, is simply that. It is a kindness um, that one can't, uh, um, in its most natural form, uh, has actually in that moment where it exists. Uh, there is no uh, grabbing for anything, and there's no pushing away. Uh, there's just this um, moment of uh, what non-greed and non-aversion. In that alone, uh, there is uh, tremendous uh, kindness. It's always uh, such an interesting field for me to um, try sitting here, trying to uh, keep my mind in my body as I speak and uh, let my mind serve my heart. Um, and in that place when I actually connect with it, uh, I'm neither forward nor backwards. Uh, and somehow there's a place that uh, feels right uh, in the center. Um, and it has no demand. You know. And also it doesn't have a charge on it at all, uh, which I think is so addicting in pleasantness and unpleasantness, that somehow we, we get the charge of the craving for or against something. And being here is this ability to catch those fractions, maybe just fractions of a moment, where there's no wanting it to be different, and recognizing somehow that, that without the charge, uh, that the Buddha was pointing at, at this place that's called peace, uh, that's not relying on anything that's open to uh, endless possibilities, uh, but doesn't, um, uh, doesn't lean into it or away from it. Uh, it's just uh, a moment and then another moment. And there is this deep resting that leaves the mind open to the body and connected to the heart, uh, and doesn't have to remember anything. Uh, This is from Lao Tzu. It is the child that sees the primordial secret in nature, and it is the child of ourselves we return to. The child within us is simple and daring enough to live in the secret, in the Dharma. So this heart kindly bent towards ease. This is from Ajahn Chah, uh, a still forest pool. 
when I had been practicing for only two or three years, I still could not trust myself. But after I had experienced much, I had learned to trust my own heart. When you have this deep understanding, whatever occurs, you can let it occur, and all things will pass and be quelled. You will reach a point where the heart tells itself what to do. It is constantly probing, constantly mindful. Your only concern need to be continually, continually contemplating. Mm. Nice. So mind, heart, scrub, old rag, heart, kindly bent towards ease. Enough. So, um, may all those things that hold you in captivity, uh, be it in your body, uh, be it uh, in your mind or heart, Uh, may they be absorbed in this great, uh, vast Dharma space. And um, when it's all quelled, uh, then uh, this, um, uh, the recognition that this is enough and you're enough, uh, and that uh, uh, you are awakened. Uh, you have taken all your masks off. So let's just sit for a moment. Forty-five minutes for walking.